0: Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. So I'm going to share with you um, something this morning. This is probably one of the most important messages you will have ever heard me preach. Now it won't be that because of the emotion in it, because... um, uh, it's just because of the the weight that i feel in it and so um if you'll bear with me i'm going to i'm going to take my time this morning i have it's amazing too i have some time here so if you have if you have a piece of paper or the bulletin or something i'm going to ask you to get a pen out uh we didn't we didn't get this into the into the a bulletin, but I'm going to ask you to take some notes. These verses are going to be, we're going to cover a lot of verses today, and uh, and uh, and actually, this week God jolted me in another way too. Not just with the the shock of my heart; it was he jolted me with the remembrance that. My primary my primary role here as the pastor of this church is to fulfill Acts chapter 6 verse 4. And that's the ministry of the word and prayer. And so in reflecting about that this week I've recommitted myself to the ministry of the Word as I have, I feel like, I feel like I have, I feel like, you know, I love to preach. There's nothing I love more than to teach and preach the Word of God, but I have this fresh commitment to do it in, do it in God's way that God would be honored and glorified, And that his ministry could go forth from this church. And um, so I want to talk to you this morning about the three R's. You know, and being old school like I am, most of you that are my age will remember that the three R's from our day were reading, writing, and arithmetic. And... um, that's kind of what we, what we went to school on reading, writing, arithmetic. Not spelling, obviously. But today I'm going to use that as a, as a launch pad to give you the three R's that will save. And, uh, and so as we get into that, I, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 19. I didn't write that reference on here, but this is Acts 3.19 in the Passion Translation. Now, you, you know, we all know it in the King James Version. This is The King James is how I have memorized most of the Bible, repent therefore and be converted. But I'm really liking uh, this new Passion Translation, and so I'm going to read this. And I want you to pay special note to those top three words, and we're going to explain that, relent, repent, and remove, relent, repent, and remove. Those are the three R's that will save, relent, repent, and remove. In the Passion Translation, it says, and now you must repent and turn back to God, so that your sins will be removed, and so that the times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. We all are longing and seeking and desiring these times of refreshing, amen? Amen. I mean this is what we, this is what we come to church for too, is you know it's like you go out into to the week and it's a, it's like a wilderness and then you come into the house of God and we want refreshing. We need refreshing. We fight the enemy, tooth and taint, tooth, tooth and toenail and then we come together and in our fellowship, we need refreshing. But he says this refreshing comes when we repent and turn back to God. That's the relenting and repenting part of this. So you need to make note of this and here's what relenting means. If you look up relenting in the dictionary, it means to stop resisting. That's what it really means literally. To relent means you stop resisting. And I want to I want to ch- challenge you this morning to relent. Stop resisting. In the name of Jesus, stop resisting. The Holy Spirit is trying to help you. And many of you are resisting the Holy Spirit. And what we need to do is relent and stop resisting. And what that really is saying is, God, you're right. God, you are right. I do need you. All I need is you. Many of us are resisting that because we think we need God and something. Or we think we have something that's as good as God, and so we put that on an equal plane. Or some of us act like God is like a spare tire, and the only time we pull him out is when we have a flat in life. And so we need to relent. Everybody say, relent. Relent. Look at your neighbor and ask him, have you relented? Have you stopped resisting? That's what you're asking. Have you stopped resisting? Number two is we need to repent. Repentance is to think differently. Literally, that's what the word means, to to think differently. And and it's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. And the the repentance says that God... uh, uh, Relenting says, God, you are right, and repentance says, God, I am wrong. Repent. Think differently. Humble yourself. And then he says, remove. So the removal is in the fact that we're not just asking God to deal with the symptoms. It's like, God, I I need to change. God, I want want things to change in my life. I want to deal with the root of the problem in my life. And so this relent, repent, remove is what really saves us. See, you're you're not going to come into Now listen to me carefully here. You're not going to come into complete salvation until it involves all three of these. Because you must relent, you must repent, you must remove before you can walk into the fullness of God's promise. Can you say amen to that? You see, I'm going to prove to you how that you can come to God and you can say, God, I'm wrong, but you can walk out and not be changed. I'm going to show you how you can say, God, you're right, and then walk out of that and Walk right back into your old life. That's right. I'm going to show you how you can say, God, I'm sorry for my sin, and then walk right back into it. That's right. yeah. Because you refuse to let God deal with it at the root of the, of the problem. Now, I know this, is, this might not be like the funnest sermon you've ever heard, but this, this I p- promise you will be one of the most important messages you will have ever heard when it comes to the need for us to be completely transformed by the power and the grace of God. And so are you ready for this? Write this down, sin not removed and pain not resolved will always lead to ruin. We're still on the R's, right? Sin not removed and pain not resolved will always lead to ruin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 15, Paul says this, and this is my heart. I hope you'll hear this from my heart today. He says, I'm not writing this to embarrass you or to shame you. but to correct you as the children that I love. For although you could have countless babysitters in Christ telling you what you're doing wrong, you don't have many fathers who correct you in love. But I'm a true father to you, for I became your father when I gave you the gospel and brought you into union with Jesus. Would you allow me to be your father today? Yeah. Yeah. Would you allow me to, to speak into you and not just, I'm not here to shame anyone. I'm not here to embarrass anyone. But I, I am opening my heart to the Lord and I said, Lord, this, this, is, a, this, is, a, this is a difficult message because this is, you, how do you do this? And the Lord spoke to me and said, you just be a father, be a father, be a father. and so I want to be a father to you and so on that basis, I want you to know that 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 a, a father is not just interested in 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 the, in in the shallowness of of a person's um superficial obedience. a father's looking for that dna that 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 identity that he is carrying to be passed on to his children and he says i became your father when i gave you the gospel the gospel has within it its own dna and i'm here to tell you that i believe the church has got to rise up and preach the gospel once again the gospel is so powerful it's life changing The real Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. A gospel that doesn't change you is not the gospel. A gospel that doesn't challenge you is not the gospel. A gospel that doesn't cause you to look at yourself and say, man, I need to get this right is not the gospel. And so the gospel addresses how to get your sin removed. You notice, I didn't say how to get your sin forgiven. You see, a lot of people, that's all they, when they they say, well, I preached the gospel, I told them how to get the forgiveness of their sins. But Jesus didn't just come to give you the forgiveness of your sins. He came to remove it. He came so you would get free of it and not have to repent and repent and repent and repent so that you could leave repentance behind and move on to this new life in Jesus and not keep repeating dead works. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So the gospel teaches us how to remove sin, the gospel teaches us how pain is resolved. Can I, can I just take a second here and tell you that behind every sin is unresolved pain. Behind every sin is unresolved pain. And many of us are trying to get people to the place of forgiveness of sins without bringing them to a resolution of their pain. And as long as the pain exists, the sin will remain. So the gospel teaches us how that pain is resolved. And the gospel teaches us in the good news of how God turns our captivity into freedom. Why? Because sin always leads to death. Ruin. I had someone tell me a while back, and they said, but Pastor Mike, sin is different in a Christian. And I'm like, yes, it is. It's worse. Because Jesus provided the remedy for our ruin when he came out from the grave so that we could have victory over our sin. And if you have got sin in your life, why did Jesus die? So you would have a place to hide? It's so you could get free. And he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so you, if you'll bear with me in my folly i know this this is this is this is again this is meat this is not fluff i didn't come here today expecting people to shout and bounce off the walls but i do expect people today to walk out of this place changed because the truth will make you free what is god after God's burning desire is for his son. In Philippians 2 6 to 8, it says, He existed in the form of God, he Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. Man, this is is describing Jesus who laid aside his deity and clothed himself in the likeness of sinful flesh and how he lowered himself and kept lowering himself and he lowered himself and lowered himself and how God highly exalted him. He became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was the perfect example even in his death A criminal's death by crucifixion. So you see the picture of Jesus. And this is what what so won the heart of his father. Now, if you go on in verses 9 through 11, it says, Because of that obedience, God exalted him. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. And he has now been given the greatest of all names. Now, think about this. Because of his obedience, because he went lower, God took him higher and gave him the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm and every tongue will proclaim in every language Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh bringing glory and honor to God his father you see what the father what what god is after is his son god is enthralled with his son god is passionate about his son god loves his son So when I ask you the question, what is God after, when it comes to you and I, what is God after? He's after his son. And this explains some verses, so I'm going to give you three verses that I have wrestled with and and, and prayed through for a good part of my life, and and I'm going to to lay these on you today and, and, uh, well, they're not three verses, they're uh, three passages. I want to start with Romans 8. It says in verse 26, and in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. Aren't you glad God knows who we are and that he has made provision for us in our frailty and our weakness? So he gave us the Holy Spirit and said, you know, You know, Holy Spirit, these are a bunch of frail, weak people, and they need some power. They need some help, and so I'm going to send you to empower them, because as they take hold of you, and you take hold of them, here's what's going to happen. At times, we don't even know how to pray. Did you ever notice that? You ever felt, if, if I have felt anything in the last 300 and something days, it's like, Lord, I don't even know sometimes how to pray. And Lord, am I praying this right? Am I praying this according to your will and according to your purpose? And so he says, we don't even know how to pray or know the best thing to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf. Hallelujah. Pleading to God with emotional sighs, too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desire of the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. You need to really just meditate on that for a few days, because all, all y'all are going, whoa. Whoa. But here's, here's how I can tell you we don't know how to pray. Most of you in this room today are praying like this. God, get me out of this mess. And you know what the Holy Spirit is praying? God, get the mess out of this person. You know how I know? Because I've been praying that prayer too. You know what the problem with that prayer is? You just keep going back to God from one mess to another mess and if God doesn't get the mess out of you, you just have this series of rescues that you need God to do for you. But when the Holy Spirit comes in his super intercessory power, he says, God, it's time we end this mess and it's time we deal with the root of this mess. And God, if you'll just get the mess out of them, the message will be Christ in them. Amen. The hope of glory. Glory. Y'all should be shouting right now. But y'all, this is, what, this is the thing. Now listen to what he says. He says, the heart knows our, fully our longings. He understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us. The Holy Spirit's up there going, oh God, oh God, oh Father, I'm praying that you'll deal deep in their heart." Get to the root of this in them. Help them get their eyes open. Help them to see this. I mean, he's pleading passionately for us. And then he says, we, then it gets us in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. Do you know God has a plan and a destiny for your life? Hello? God's plan and his destiny for your life is victory, it's power, it's hope. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We go, oh, hallelujah. But then we, we keep, we keep some, for some reason, ducking the real issue here. God, I got myself in a real mess. What's wrong and broken on the inside of me? Where is this pain coming from? God, would you please deal with this pain inside of me? Because sin not removed and pain that is not addressed will always lead to my ultimate ruin. And the Holy Spirit's going, Oh, yeah, you're onto something there. You're onto something there. You're onto something there. Come on, come on. And he's, in, he's interceding, he's praying, because look at what goes on here. See, this is some of the most, this right here now is one of the most well known scriptures in the Bible. You know why I wanted to read the previous verses? so you would finally understand the context of what he's saying here. Now in Romans eight twenty eight, we all know this in the King James, as all things work together for good to them who are loving God, right? How many of you know that verse? How many of you quote that verse? How many of you have that verse on your refrigerator? That's a refrigerator verse. I, we have these refrigerator verses. And, and that's great. I love refrigerator verses. But it's always strange to me why we don't have repent and be converted on our refrigerator. So here's what it says. Now, this is the Passion Translation. He says, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. God's trying to bring good into our lives. Why? Because he's a good, good father. God is trying to bring good into your life. Who keeps sabotaging it? It's us. Okay, moving right along. I ain't got time to argue with you this morning. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. That's all things work together for good to those who are loving God. God's trying to bring good into your life. I know that's a refrigerator verse, but what about that then? How do you explain that when when pain comes? So you lose a loved one. God, how can, that, how can that be to good? You lose your marriage. How can that be to my good? You lose your job. God, how can that be to my good? But he says this so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. So, what is God's design purpose? What is God after? What is God's design purpose? Church, this is we are at a crossroads in the the church right now. We need to understand what is God's purpose. Because there's a lot of craziness going on, and 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 we're fighting over, like, well, why didn't this work out? And why didn't this happen? And why didn't this because we don't understand God's designed purpose. Now listen to what it says: for he knew all about us before we were born. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. What is God's designed purpose? This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. You know what God's after in your life? He's after Jesus in your life. He wants you to become like Jesus. He wants you to become like Jesus. That's what God's after in the church. He wants the church to look like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to love like Jesus. When the church reflects Jesus, we will be significant and relevant once again. But how are we ever going to make an impact on a world when we do not reflect the true nature and character of Christ? How about when our motives don't represent Christ's motives? What, how, how was it when Jesus came? He humbled himself and served. Does that look like the church today? The church overall is what are you doing for me? What's in it for me? And so he, he, he gives us this and he says, what God's after, what God's design and purpose is, is to be in the likeness of his son, that we become just like him. Let me give you two more passages. Galatians 4, 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Whew. You see what God's after? He's after Christ in you to be formed in you. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, but we all. Everybody say all. I looked that up in the Greek, and it means Everybody. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Remember, remember, what was that? Was it Snow White that went to the mirror and said, Mirror, mirror, on the wall. Yeah. Who's the fairest of them all? See, every day we come and we look in the mirror, and what God is looking for is the reflection of Jesus as we look into the glory of God. And he says we all as in a mirror look into the glory of God are being transformed, changed into the same image from glory to glory. It's glory to glory. There's a a process here from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. You see what God's doing is he's got his church in a process. Many of the things that you're struggling with God, don't you understand? God is trying to put you in front of the mirror, show you his glory, and then be transformed by it so you look more and more like Jesus. And so God challenges us. Behold, the glory. You see, because here's the principle, write this down. Whatever you behold, you become. Whatever you behold, you become. See, for years, it's I've, I've, I've made this whole thing about me. And as I beheld me and I looked at me and, and I thought, well, you know, God, you really got something special when you got me. <laughs> and yet I had all this stuff in my life, all this mess in my life. I'm telling you, i am tell you, all the impatience, all the anger inside of me, all the unresolved bitterness that I, I brought into my walk with God because of how I felt like I had been slighted and, and overlooked and I brought all this mess with me, and and then God went to work on me. God went to work on me. God went to work on me. He went to work changing me, transforming me. He kept showing me Jesus. He kept showing me this image of glory to glory, and and God just slowly chipped away at, at this thing inside of me. because i realized that it wasn't about just getting my sins forgiven it's about being changed so i want to talk to you a few minutes and then i'm going to close not give me a few minutes but i want you to know i'm circling the airport we are going to land this plane I do know how to land an airplane. Some of you wonder. You go, man, some of your sermons, they never land. (laughs) Today we're going to land this plane. We're going to use Jacob as our runway. Many of you know Jacob. You know about Jacob. Many of you have read about Jacob. You know that Jacob was the son of Isaac, you know how he was, a, he was a born uh, a, as a twin? I want to just give you a thumbnail sketch. I'm, I'm going to go over this really quickly because I need you to see something about Jacob, and I'm going to say something about Jacob and you and me, and then we're going to see where we fit. So we see in Genesis chapter 25, 26... If you read this and I suggest you do, write these verses down and go back and check me out. Read these you can take time it's very, very powerful how that uh, uh, Isaac uh, has these two sons born to him, uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first. The Bible says Esau was hairy and he was a, became a hunter and he was you know he was like he actually killed things unlike paul he he actually he was actually good at hunting, and and uh, I'm sorry I had to say that. And so he was uh, he was a, a man. His his name actually you know carries with it an identity that that he carried as a, a man of the a man of the forest, a man uh, who on the hunt, a man. He he was born Harry and, and and so on and, and then there was Esau. They named I mean uh, there was Jacob. Jacob's name means supplanter. Actually, it means literally deceiver. It says in Genesis 25, 26 that he was grabbing, he was grabbing Esau's heel as he came out of the womb. It was, it was a signal of his character. Because Jacob would spend his entire life going after other people's stuff. His character would be he would chase other people's things. He, we read in Genesis 25, 31 that his brother comes in from hunting one day and he has this big pot of stew and he tricks and deceives his brother in his weakness and steals his birthright. And it didn't sit too well with Esau, but he was said, well, what good is it if I die of weakness? And so he gives him a pot of, a pot of soup And he gets his brother's birthright. Jacob's pretty sharp. But he's deceitful. He's a liar. Hello? We read in Genesis chapter 27. He deceives Isaac to get the firstborn blessing. Read it. His mom hears Isaac send Esau out to kill something because Isaac knows he's about to die. And he goes, ma'am, I want one good last meal. And so he says, son, go get me something really good and cook it up with the way you do. Man, I love that. I love that deer, the way you cook it up and bring it to me. I'm going to eat it and die. Jacob's mama hears it and she says, Jacob, quick, you go get two of the kids and the kid uh, goats, and we're going to kill him, and we're going to hurry up, and, and we're going to feed it to Isaac before he gets back. Now, now mama's in this deceitfulness with him. Did you ever notice how people run kind of in a, in a vein in their, in their character? Jacob steals his brother's identity, puts some hairy skin on his arms, goes in before Isaac. Isaac says, you sound like Jacob. Are you, are you Jacob? No, I'm Esau, liar. Well, come here, let me feel you. He feels that goatskin, hairy deception thing, and so he feeds him, says that's really good, lays his hand on Jacob and gives him the blessing of the firstborn. <sighs> that was powerful. Because the firstborn son always got the double portion. Esau comes in and goes, here I am, Father, I got this. He said, I've already given the blessing to you. You didn't give it to me. Mm -hmm. Jacob! He was like Dennis the Menace. (laughs) In Genesis 28, he leaves for Laban's house because he's told by his father and mother, don't take a wife of these heathens. And so he goes to the house of Laban, who was a, a relative of, of the family, and he says, go get you a wife of, of, of Laban's household. And on the way, to, on the way to, this, uh, to this Laban's house, he lays down and takes a nap, and he has this encounter with God where God shows him angels descending and ascending from heaven on, on a ladder and, and, and he wakes up and he sets his pillow up, as, which was a rock, pours oil over it and he says, man, this is none other than the house of God for God was in this place and I knew it not. See, what's, what's happening? God's trying to get his attention. God's trying to get his attention. Can I submit to you that some of you God is trying to interrupt your plans for self-destruction. And some of the very things that you have cursed, God has set up to keep you from destroying yourself? Some of the people you've resented and have an odd in your heart against are the very people God has put in your way. And they have, if you would peel back from the, from the surface, you'd realize that person saved my life. Yeah, but I don't like him. (laughs) Don't matter. He has this encounter with God. But let me ask you this question. Did it change Jacob? Did it change him? This encounter with God, this Bethel thing, did it change Jacob? No, it did not. Let's go on. You still with me? There was no relenting. No repenting, no removing. Then Jacob made a vow. Here's how I'm going to give you this in Genesis 28. You should write this down. Then he made, Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. You see what this vow is saying? Jacob is, this is after his Bethel encounter. Who's this all about? Is this a vow to God? Well, yeah, it's the best he could do. Because he was all about himself. This is God, if you just take care of me, I'll, I'll serve you. <laughs> God's like, wow, that's really nice of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Man, what would I do without you? I mean, I'm, I'm just God. And, and you see, he, you, could tell, you, you could tell, you know, I can talk to somebody three minutes and tell you what kind of encounter with God they've had in their life and the real source that it has sprung from and whether they're in it for self-preservation or the glory of God. You say, well, wh- why would you do that? Aren't you judging people? No, because I can tell you the outcome of that Because if you don't relent, repent, and remove, guess what happens? You ruin. You see, Jacob never really does get it. Let's go on. You still with me? Sin not removed will ultimately return and ruin you. Pain not resolved will always reintroduce sin to take you down. Genesis 4, 6, 7. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? This is a really important question here. Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. Its desire is to destroy you. Listen, folks, listen to me. The sin that you're playing with has an ultimate desire, and it's to destroy you. Sin bringeth forth death, and death when it is finished brings ruin. So the Lord said, Why are you angry? Pain, not resolve. You say, How do you know it? How do you know Jacob was angry? You can read it through the lines of everything that is saying in Genesis through his, his history. Remember when, remember when Laban comes after him? Let, let's, let, me, let me just stay with the let me stay with the outline here. God. Wait a minute. Let me back up here. Genesis 29, Jacob serves seven years for Rachel. And what does he get at the wedding night? He gets tricked. You know why? Because what you reap, what you sow, is what you reap. Then he gets Leah, and I love how the Bible says, Leah was, was uh, fair. It's, it's, a, it's a King James way of saying she was ugly. He was in love with Rachel. And now he had served seven years. You know what he did? You know what that did to him? He got mad. How's a little taste of your own medicine, Jacob? <laughs> Then he serves another seven years for Rachel. So he's 14 years into this marriage thing. But he's really not, he, he's really not, he's not got his heart right because in all of it, he's still, it's all about him. Then in Genesis 30, he devises a plan and tells Laban, look, I got to go back home. Can I have all the spotted and speckled stock? Because there was only a, a, a handful compared to the solid color ones. But Jacob had a plan. You know what he did? He cuts sticks, put it in the water. I don't know if there was something in the sticks or something that I don't really, under, I, I could not find out a real explanation for this. But all of a sudden, over the next few years, there's this whole group of speckled and, and, uh, and raked and spotted stock that get born because Jacob's a very good con man. And so then he grabs his stuff, and he hears Laban is mad at him, so you know what he does? He sneaks out of town. And then when Laban hears about it, he gets a group of guys, and he goes after him, and Jacob is scared. Do you get the history here? Genesis 31 is the drama of Laban coming after Jacob, and God shows up in Laban's dream and says, don't you put a hand on him. Genesis 32, then he gets out of that drama. Esau comes after Jacob for revenge. Do you get the theme of this? I'm not really trying to be hard on Jacob, but it's like he never gets it. So what, is, what happens? He, he, he has a, another encounter with God where he actually wrestles with God, wrestles with an angel Most theologians believe he had a, it was an Old Testament appearance of Christ who put his, he put his leg out or hip out of joint, which prompted one preacher to say, never trust anybody who doesn't walk with a limp. (laughs) Because it's when God touches you like that, you can tell that person's had an encounter with God. He, he has this encounter. He renames that place and says, I have seen the face of God. But did it change him? No. It didn't change him. It didn't change him a bit. So let me close with these five points, four points. God's power is constant and consistent. God is always encountering us in our journey. Do you know why it's always the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Abraham was the father of the faithful. Isaac was the son of the promise. But What was Jacob in that trilogy for? Because God just showed you he's always after us no matter how messed up we are. And so God's constant. His will is to change us, not just to forgive us. Don't make a mistake of a step in the right direction as the arrival to your destination. How many of you have had encounters with God and you started, you made a course correction? Now listen to this. How many of you have made a step in the right direction and that was your first and your last step? You know what you just set yourself up for? Ruin. But Pastor Mike, I made the step. He didn't just, he, God is not inviting you to just make a step. He wants you to finish the journey. It's he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So he says lean in until you're not just forgiven, but until you're changed. So, as you lean into the transforming power of God, what happens is God completely changes you. I want to tell you a little thing about my early ministry. I was starting my ministry Terry and I and we were itinerant that means we traveled I was an evangelist and my main position with the denomination I was with was I was a statewide youth director I was traveling Indiana at the time doing district conventions which we did annually the state was broken up into districts and I went and represented the youth work in every district and preached and met with all the youth directors and, and uh, I know this was a long time ago. It was whew, 35, 40 years ago. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I was in my 20s. I was asked to go visit a couple while I was in a part of the state Because just a night before, they lost their young daughter to spinal meningitis. My wife and I had just recently, it had only been about a year, I think, six months, that we had lost our three-year-old son to leukemia. So they they thought, well, we, we could be a blessing. So we went over and visited with this couple. The young father was a backslidden pastor's son. And he was living a a really backslidden life with drugs and immorality. and, And then all of a sudden this tragedy comes. I met with this couple and prayed with them, encouraged them as best as I could shared with them God's ability to walk through this with you. and I mean, I was still walking through my own thing. It had, hadn't even been a year. When I got back home, it wasn't too long. I heard he had rededicated his life to the Lord. And in less than a year, he answered the call and ended up pastoring a church. something I suppose he had been running from his whole life. But like Jacob, he failed to really press in to the transforming power of God. Now, this is a tough story, and I want you to hear my heart. And this is not something that most people would use even as, to tell, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Would you like the truth today? Yes. Because unfortunately, I've seen this more than once. I'm just using this particular illustration because it's near to me. He took this position and in less than a year had a moral failure. You say, Pastor Mike, why would you share that? That's that's tragic. So let me tell you, I've been and since I've been at this church which will be 7 years in August I have watched God show up for people in Bethel like experiences in God showing people his face interrupting them in their plans for self-destruction giving grace and mercy showing up to them and yet because of the lack of willing to really press in and not just repent but remove it Remove it. God, deal with this thing inside of me. God, get this thing out of me. God, it's not enough to know that I've just been forgiven. I need to be changed. I can't keep playing and toying and moving back and forth. God, I want to be transformed. I want to be like Jesus. And I've watched many people Get touched by God, only to fall into ruin, and it's all—it's heartbreaking. I don't, as a pastor, there's nothing that breaks my heart more than to see somebody who has been touched by God return back to the vomit. Is that—is that too strong? Nothing breaks my heart to see how God makes a way for somebody in the wilderness. And then they turn their back and walk back into their captivity. And see, it breaks Jesus' heart too. Some of you are toying and compromising and complacent and content in your mess. I came to stir up your mess today. You say, Pastor Mike, you should be nicer. You just came out of the hospital. No, you know how I feel? I feel like I'm a dying man preaching to dying people. And I may never ever get this chance to speak to some of you today, but when you walk out this door, I want you to know that God's love is constant and consistent and that he paid the ultimate price so you could walk in complete and total freedom. And that if you choose to go back, well, that's your choice. But if you want to be free, God offers you the way into your freedom and into your complete deliverance if you will just lean in and say, God, change me. I've watched people come in here with heroin addictions. One of the saddest things I ever did was preach a 24-year-old girl's funeral. she came into this she walked up to this altar sat right over there and asked Jesus to forgive her and we rejoiced because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then she went out of here went back with her friends And within three days, this, listen, this is the kind of friends she had. I'm just going to tell you what your friends are all about. Her friends helped her get high when she was telling them, I'm trying to get out of this. She had two children under five years old. And they helped her get high. And when she overdosed, they filled the bathtub up, dumped her in it, and ran because they didn't want to get in trouble with the police. And those same people came and wept on her casket. And I stood up and said, how can you dare weep for someone you helped kill? I said, Pastor Mike, you should be nicer. Yeah, yeah I should be but I'm not I'm passionate and I'm telling some of you are sitting here and you have trifled with God you have treated God like you could take him or leave him and I'm here to tell you today you cannot trifle with God there comes a point where he that being often reproved shall suddenly be cut off and that without remedy put that on your refrigerator I need you to bow your heads with me. (laughs) I've seen the devastation of sin. I've seen it kill people, not just hurt people. I've seen it kill people. I have seen sin take 24-year-olds off of the planet. I have seen sin take teenagers and utterly destroy their lives. I have seen sin in marriages and put families in history and, and complete chaos until their children can't even recognize what's up and what's down. I have seen sin... Take a once tender heart and make it so hard that you couldn't penetrate it with anything. I have no sympathy on sin and you shouldn't either. Father, oh, Father, oh, Father. Help us not to trifle with you, O oh God. You have shown grace. You have shown mercy. God, what you're after is Jesus in us. The very hope of glory. You've given away. You paid the ultimate price. You gave the ultimate sacrifice so we could walk free of sin. Yes, Lord, there's many Jonas sitting right here this morning. And they're running the wrong direction. And, oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll just spit them up right at this altar here this morning. God's sin is so serious. And we can't afford to take it lightly. I ask you, God, Holy Spirit, convict hearts right here today. Yeah, so here's a good old school altar call right here. If you have sin in your life and you need to repent, I need you to come to this altar right now. If you have sin in your life, don't make I'm not here to if you got a, t- a hangnail, come and let us pray for you. I know I'm saying if you have sin in your life, I'm gonna ask you to come to this altar right here, right now. God has God has something he wants to do for you. Something he wants to do in you. Something he wants to do for you. Something he wants to do deep in your heart. He does. He, listen, the forgiveness of sin is easy because that was done through the blood of Jesus. But what he wants to do is change your heart. Change your heart. And that means you've got to completely open up your heart. You've got to completely open up your life. I'm going to ask our prayer team, ministry team, our, 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 our ministers. To come uh, with me here around this altar. If you need to go, God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Well, we're gonna spend some time in the presence of God here this afternoon. And we're gonna go after God. We're gonna go after transformation. We're gonna go, we're not gonna pray some 30 second prayer and then send you on your way. God's going God's to speak to some hearts here today. There's going to be some powerful things that happen right here today. Because we're going to leave this place changed. And, and I, I pray that we will not leave until we know we have been touched by God. So everyone that, that came to this altar, I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you, God, will begin this work deep in the hearts of your people right now as you call your sons and daughters home, as you call prodigal sons and prodigal daughters back to you. Lord, this isn't just about the forgiveness of sin. This is about transformation. We wanna be changed, oh God. We wanna be changed. I wanna leave here, Lord God, changed. I want to leave what I brought with me at this altar, oh God. I don't wanna take it back with me. I don't wanna take back my addiction, my habits, my stuff, my mess. God, I don't want you to just help me with the mess. I want you to get the mess out of me, oh God. Get the mess out of me. Get the mess out of me, oh God. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.